Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, a $1 billion response to address the impacts of the coronavirus. Since day one, our government has been following the situation very closely. We have a responsibility to make sure Canada is ready for all scenarios, and we take that responsibility extremely seriously. Premiers converge on Ottawa for the first minister's meeting. It was focused because of the premier's efforts largely on economic issues like competitiveness, which for us implicitly means Bill C-69. There was a a brief 45-minute section on on, uh, the coronavirus. I expect that will be expanded. And what will the current economic challenges mean in the coming federal budget? We're looking at these challenges. We're trying to ascertain the the depth and the, the length, the duration of, of this challenge. Obviously, as facts emerge, they're going to enable us to decide how we should best respond. It's Thursday, March the 12th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Good morning, Mark. So many developments with regard to the coronavirus, and uh, things are changing by the minute, of course, not just in Canada, but around the world. And we're expecting more of an update today. The Prime Minister is going to meet with public health officials and uh, and learn what's happening. Uh, so I expect we're going to hear more from the Prime Minister today. And then as First Ministers from uh, provinces and territories arrive in Ottawa, uh, there'll be a lot of discussion about uh, the plans that they're implementing in their provinces and territories as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, it really does seem all-encompassing. I think this is, this is the real deal. It is a, a, a major crisis, the major crisis that this, the Trudeau government has faced in the last four years. And, um, you know, I have to say I was a little bit under, underwhelmed by the response that came out uh, yesterday. Uh, $1 billion doesn't seem a lot of money in the face of what um, appears to be, you know, the, the word existential is, is overused, but I think this is existential not just to the government's prospects, but, you know, literally to the lives and the health and wealth of many, many Canadians. And I think that that, the plan they came out with, and I realize it was just the first step, and then we'll see further action in the budget and elsewhere. But talking to some experts in microbiology, we should have done a lot more in social distancing. Maybe not quite as much as Italy, but gone down that route on on gatherings, encouraging people to shop, shop off peak, cancelling concerts, just keeping people away from one another while we can try and slow the progress of this disease. Yeah, because it is all about being in front of it, right, and not waiting until uh, the the virus spreads and then taking action. And to some extent, Canada has been in an advantageous position in that it has not been spreading quickly through Canada so far, at least not compared to other countries. So uh, there is an opportunity for us to contain this in a way that it has not been contained elsewhere if we act quickly, right? Right. I mean, the health minister yesterday said a committee that between 30 and 70 percent of the population could catch this this disease. And it seems to me the difference between the two is is how much action the government takes. And she was also act, uh, asked uh, about banning uh, big public events, for example. And she said that those are decisions that are taken at a more local level. And that's true, and you know, I, I, 
Berlin, for example, just banned events of more than a thousand people. But the federal government has an explicit role here. I think it should be providing explicit direction. That That is the job of the chief public health officer. She's charged with advising Canadians on the measures they should take to keep themselves safe. And that's the role of the public health agency, which monitors and responds to disease outbreaks. And, you know, it's not a partisan point to suggest that the government should be telling Canadians and, and directing municipalities and which don't have the capacity to monitor and respond to diseases, uh, that they should perhaps be banning sporting events or putting put them behind closed doors, that big gatherings should be cancelled, that schools should be closed. I mean, I think that this is... Uh, these are not alarmist measures, and the, the point that you just raised that uh, you know by the time the thing spreads, it's too late. Now the modelling, the modelling suggests the infection rate is 35 to 70 percent. In Italy, 10 percent of those infected had severe lung failure, requiring the use of a ventilator to keep them breathing. And you translate that to Canada, that's over a million Canadians would may need a ventilator. We have 5,000 ventilators in this country. And they're not evenly spread across the country. That's a scary, scary number. And I think that um, the, every effort should be made to make sure that we don't have a surge in cases so that all of those people are looking to get on a ventilator at the same time. It's a great point. Uh, you do have to ask the question about whether the resources will be there if, if uh, the outbreak is that significant. So... Uh, how do you think this impacts the gathering of first ministers in Ottawa tonight and tomorrow? Well, clearly they're they're in the business of asking for as much money as as, as possible. Um, you know, I think that that the, the prime minister perhaps took the sting out of it by by allocating five hundred million dollars to the provinces for for healthcare. That that should. Uh, satisfy their immediate needs. I saw Jason Kerry said that their immediate estimate was somewhere around 80 million, and this would give them 60 million. So, so the the dire need might be helped by this by this move. Clearly, though, further moves on on employment insurance, for example, by the government had said it would uh, it would make some minor changes to to, to employment insurance. But I think the first ministers are going to want more details on how all of this is going to roll out. I mean, if you're if you have to go home sick, uh, how do you make that claim? I mean, do you need a doctor's note? Or it, you know, it's not quite clear how loose the government is going to be with with some of that funding. I think that there are a lot of details to be calibrated, but I do hope that it's you know you know slightly hypocritical here. I've been critical of the of the government's position. But I do think that, that this is a time to band together and for for provinces to put down their weapons, and particularly for the opposition to put down their weapons, because question period yesterday was an absolute farce. I mean, trying to score political points at a time when Canadians are getting sick and starting to die is, I think, slightly obscene. And it's not, there was no, no constructive effort made by the opposition to help Canadians, to, to help get a clearer picture of what's going on. I think the government could help with this if it actually brought the opposition into the tent. You know, during H1N1 10 years ago, the Conservatives brought the, the, the health critics from all of the other parties into daily briefings. So there was some sense of vested interest on the part of the opposition. And I do think that that 
took the partisan thing out of uh, out of what you know otherwise is is a point scoring exercise. Hmm. We've learned now that the federal budget will be delivered on March the 30th by Finance Minister Bill Morneau. I can only imagine what's going on at the Finance Department as they scramble to put numbers together based on assumptions, projections that are normally based on economic assumptions, uh, with the ground shifting so much as a result of not only the coronavirus crisis, but also uh, the decline in oil prices and other economic factors. Uh, This is going to be a tricky budget, isn't it? It is, and I think that um, I hope that, that that well, I'm sure that the Department of Finance has learned, but but maybe Bill Morneau needs to learn uh, the lessons from the Harper government's botched initial reaction to the financial crisis in 2008. Their initial reaction was to say that uh, Stephen Harper said increased spending and direct intervention in the market would uh, in the economy would ruin Canada's fiscal credentials. He, he saw the tumbling stock market as a buying opportunity and used the fall fiscal op- update as a, an opportunity to eliminate the, the subsidy to political parties. <clears throat> nearly cost him, nearly cost him government when the opposition united against him. But I think subsequently they, they realised that they needed to engage in stimulus spending, and Jim Flaherty in particular realised that there was no point in doing half measures, and, and he memorably said. It was it was basically go big or stay home, and I think the federal government needs to go big this time. I think the the array of headwinds. I don't know if that's a metaphor, but it, <laughs> there are so many headwinds, and they're so strong, from from the, the price war in oil to the coronavirus, that I think the government really needs to come out uh, with a major statement to uh, to underwrite the economy. The British government yesterday came out with a. $53 billion package of, of measures to respond to, to what's happening there. Um, a lot of measures on, uh, on reducing business costs, providing bridging loans to, to, to companies. Uh, there were, you know, there are a, a range of measures that I think the Canadian government would do well to, to mimic. You know, I think that it's unfortunate, I don't want to harp on about this, but it's unfortunate we're already $28 billion in deficit. I think we would have had a lot more firepower had the government not been in deficit in good times. But the, the federal government has the fiscal capacity to probably double that amount of deficit. Right. And I think they probably will do. All right, John, uh, things are changing rapidly. We'll see what today brings. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We have a responsibility to make sure Canada is ready for all scenarios, and we take that responsibility extremely seriously. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues Canada has rolled out the right prescription for fighting the coronavirus. Martin writes, Canada's response was a welcome mix of economic cushioning and healthcare intervention delivered in non-partisan tones. The threatening potential of a pandemic wasn't dismissed or downplayed. What Justin Trudeau pledged to do is heed healthcare professionals on medical matters and banks or business leaders on economic rescue missions. It was a reassuring mix of immediate action and standby vigilance to be deployed when more needs to be done. At globalnews.ca, Supriya Davidi argues that even at the best of times, America's approach to public health puts Canadians at risk. 
Davidi writes, America has been wildly under-testing its population for coronavirus. There was very little communication between state public health officials and the CDC. And the entire pandemic response team was fired in 2018 by the Trump administration. Yet Canadian public health authorities have remained largely silent about the threat posed to Canadians by our American neighbours. We don't need to panic, but we shouldn't be complacent about it either. At National News Watch, C. Scott Clark and Peter DeVries call on Bill Morneau to table an update now. They write, The 2020 budget was largely finalized before February, before the blockages, the severity of the coronavirus, the drop in oil prices, and the decline in the stock market. Its focus was likely on advancing the government's agenda as set out in its election platform. That document must now be discarded completely or delayed to a future date. What is needed now is another economic and fiscal update, detailing how the government is going to manage the current situation. At the Globe and Mail, Andrew Coyne argues Canada's biggest fiscal crisis isn't in Alberta, it's in a province much farther east. Coyne writes... The collapse of world oil prices has focused much attention on Alberta. Rather less attention has attached to Newfoundland and Labrador. Sliding toward bankruptcy even before the current crisis, the province may soon be hurtling over the proverbial fiscal cliff. The federal government's finances are often said to be sustainable, but it will be increasingly difficult to disentangle them from those of the provinces. Newfoundland and Labrador may be the first test. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The First Minister's meeting gets underway in Ottawa tonight. And as CPAC's Martin Stringer tells us, the Prime Minister and Indigenous leaders will start things off. Mark, before Prime Minister Trudeau sits down with the provincial and territorial premiers on Friday, he'll first have a meeting this evening with the leaders of the country's three major Indigenous groups. Chief Perry Belgard of the Assembly of First Nations, Nathan Obed, the head of the Inuit Taparit Kanatami, and David Chartrand of the Métis National Council. Now, among the issues they'll be discussing in their sit-down with the Prime Minister are getting more action on those calls for justice from the Commission on Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls, and also seeing some progress on the government's promise to pass legislation implementing the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Also, given events of the past few weeks, they'll be making the case for more and more specific funding to respond to the particular needs of Indigenous groups faced with the coronavirus. After the meeting with the Prime Minister, the Indigenous leaders are also expected to have a chance to meet with the provincial and territorial premiers. Among the topics on the agenda for that meeting will be pressing the provinces for action on reforming child welfare systems. That was spelled out in federal legislation that was passed in the last Parliament, but which depends a lot on provincial cooperation. Thanks, Martin. Also today, Conservative members of the Standing Committee on Government Operations and Estimates We'll be questioning Digital Government Minister Joyce Murray and Public Services Minister Anita Anand. And Conservative members of the Standing Committee on Citizenship and Immigration will question Immigration Minister Marco Mendicino. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, March the 12th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.